0: You are listening to the official podcast of salem tabernacle in beacon new york a community of people devoted to experiencing life as god meant it to be is one to ten now after the sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week mary magdalene and the other mary went to see the tomb and behold there was a great earthquake for an angel of the lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it his appearance was like lightning So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The word of the Lord.
1: You may be seated. Beautiful as always, Sheena. So a couple of disclaimers because something is happening right now. A couple of disclaimers. I wrote a sermon for today all week long, paying attention to it. Our Easter best. And about Wednesday, it was Wednesday or Thursday, I was home, I was sitting out on the back deck and the Lord dropped a thought into my spirit regarding the fear of death and our association with death maybe death that we've experienced in losing loved ones or death that we think about now more than any other time when we get a tickle in our throat next thing you know we have 2 months to live and i wrote it down and i said you know what i'm going to talk to the men and women about this in september when we have a bible study and then During the worship service, uh, that last song we sang, we sang at a funeral we had last year, and I really felt like the Holy Spirit nudged me again. That sermon that is on your whiteboard in your office right now, that's not on the paper in front of you, I want you to teach that. So here's what we're going to do. We're all going to leave here, and we're going to go down the hall to my office, everybody. So when we were doing the meet and greet just now, uh, Jacqueline, my wife, came up to me here and I said, you know, this is what I'm thinking about. And she said, she said, you were all the way over there during the service, but I wanted to tell you during that last song, I felt like I wanted you to know that if you're thinking of changing your message on the fly, I feel like the Lord is in it. Here's, here's the disclaimers. If you come from a Pentecostal background, right now you might be too excited. I assure you I'm going to disappoint you. Just because somebody says I'm changing my sermon last minute, normally that's because they didn't plan anything at all. If you're coming from a more orthodox background, Episcopal, Greek Orthodox, Roman Catholic, you're like, what is the Holy Spirit and why is he talking to you right now and should I have heard him also? All we're doing today is doing our best to make a really good plan and then let God decide what he talks to his church about. Amen? And so with that said, this is not for show or anything else, it's for faith, I wanna share something with you. And I just ask that you would pray that I would uh, remember it. It's about 200 feet away on a really nice whiteboard that Ian put up for me, which is not in this room right now. Ian, go get the whiteboard. Just kidding. (laughs) Heavenly Father, I thank you, as was already said today, that you are being proclaimed in all of your churches. And I pray that every church that's worshiping you today would find its way to the true and risen Christ. And we pray for every house of worship, Christian or not, that they would experience the reckless love of the Father. That you would flood the Hudson Valley with congregations that are not filled with doctrinal differences or political stances, but the love of God. The love of God in the face of adversity, the love of God in the midst of blessing, the love of God in the face of death, the love of God in new birth but the love of God, and I pray that it would be our romance towards you that unites us, and that gives us the ability to talk through all the other stuff. But we know that if it's love first, we can have the difficult discussions. If it's stance first, we're gonna be a church divided. And so I pray right now, if we leave with anything today, that we leave knowing that the love of God first opens up the doors for all other sorts of agreement, disagreement, for the sake of heaven. So we pray your anointing today. I pray that you make preaching easy, and I pray that you make hearing your word a delight to the soul. In your name we pray. Amen. You ready to go on a little adventure with me this morning? All right. There. How many here have been raised Pentecostal before? How many were raised in a Pentecostal home? Let me see those hands. Be proud of it. I was raised in a Pentecostal home, and in a Pentecostal home... There's something we like to talk about a lot called the demonic. We love the demonic in a Pentecostal home. You turn on the TV, and if there's something on it that shouldn't be, demons are coming at you through the television. And if you, I, I, I recently was in a podcast with a couple of my friends, and we talked about this, and I said, no, it's interesting, I grew up in a home where I wasn't allowed, we didn't have cable because of demons. But I was allowed to watch the Rocky Trilogy for some reason. I was allowed to watch the Back to the Future Trilogy, so I guess The Demonic was anything my dad didn't like. (laughs) Yep. I wasn't allowed to dress up for Halloween. I remember the first time I went to public school, and they were like, what are you going to be? And I was like, oh, I think I'm going to be, you know, I think I'm going to go crazy. I think instead of being King David, I'm going to be Goliath this year. And they're like, who's Goliath? And I'm like, what is wrong with you and your life? You don't know who Goliath is? They're like, I'm going to be He-Man. I'm like, whoa. I got oil in my locker. Let me get it (laughs) and bring it out here. So probably a true story, unfortunately. There's something called the demonic. And here's what the demonic does. The demonic wants you to know that it exists. The demonic is whenever evil throws something at you that is so obvious you immediately know you can defeat it. I'll give you a general example. You might have a little voice inside of you, and I preached on this a couple of weeks ago. You might have a little voice inside of you that says something like, you know what, your mistakes that you've made in life, you've messed it up for a lot of different people. Okay? You might walk around with that thought. If I would have just made better choices because of who I am, other people are suffering, this weight that I'm around. Every time something begins to go wrong, you think that thought. The demonic wants you to think that thought so that you can defeat it with something worse. The demonic is designed to bring disorder to your life. But listen to me, and this is the most complicated thing we're going to say all day. The demonic wants to bring something into your life that disorders you in an obvious way so that you accidentally reorder yourself in a wrong way that you don't realize is wrong. So the demonic in this example would say, you mess everything up for everybody. And the satanic, now in a Pentecostal household, when the word satanic came out, now we were talking about groups of people, rock and roll bands, the church down the road, like people with tattoos, like that kind of stuff, right? And the satanic... Follows the demonic and wants you to reorder your life so that things are tidy and wrong. What does Jesus say? When a demon is kicked out of a house and the house is what? Swept and put in. It brings back seven more, more sinister than itself. So the demonic would say, you mess everything up for everybody. The satanic comes in and says, you can make everything right for everybody. And then we live weighted down thinking that everybody's success rides on our shoulders. And we think it's good and we think it's right and we don't realize it's paralyzing us. Because only Jesus can heal what we've done wrong and only Jesus can make things right for everybody. We need only repent and follow him. So the demonic and the satanic, that is a quick oversimplification of this, when it comes to the fear of death, there are two ways that we inappropriately view death. I would have had slides for you, but I don't. The way number one is called fatalism. Everybody say fatalism. Fatalism is when we look at death and say, it's coming, there's nothing I can do, as soon as something good starts to happen in my life, Something bad is going to be right behind it. Has anybody ever felt this before? Listen, 2019, we had Easter Sunday right here. 2020, I preached this Easter Sunday sermon from my house because the world went crazy with COVID, remember? 2021, my foot was broken. I went for a walk on Easter Sunday, preached, went to Mystic Connecticut the day after for a little time away with my wife. And my foot broke worse and I needed surgery number one. Following Easter, I thought everything was better, developed an infection on that foot that was surgically repaired and needed surgery number two. So I'm out there walking today, and I'm like, Lord. (laughs) I'm super happy that I'm out here walking again, but I'm not going to tell you thank you too much, because last two times, this didn't work out very well. And there's that sense of fatalism where it's like, whether it's actual death or the death of joys in your life, the death of momentum. You're just sitting there saying, it's coming for me. There's some kind of tomb coming my way. We, we got a really nice tax return, but a bill is going to follow, and it's gonna, we got a beautiful tax return, and a tree is going to fall in the house. There's something that's going to happen. It's called fatalism. It's actually not accepting death at all it's adding to it and making it far worse and living like where we have a game clock that could run out at any given time. And any we get joy, any we have a breakthrough, any there's a healing, any there's a rocky relationship in our life with a spouse or a child and it's starting to go good, there's that fatalistic voice that jumps in and says, you know, you better enjoy this today because it's gonna go south again tomorrow. Thomas, when Jesus went to raise Lazarus from the dead, said, you know what? Jesus, they're trying to kill you. Why would you go to Jerusalem? And Jesus says, we have to go. Lazarus is sick. And Thomas says, you know what? Let's just go die with him. Fatalism. We might as well go. We might as well die with him. That's the demonic. Because what we do to combat fatalism is something called triumphalism. Everybody say triumphalism. Specifically about death, fatalism and triumphalism. Triumphalism is an order. It's a way of being Christian. It's it's a language. It's a way of talking that many of us have fallen for before. Now, I do want to say, be careful clapping at this because I'm probably not complimenting the thing you might clap. So, this happens sometimes. Don't clap right now. Just stare at me. We develop these mentalities to combat fatalism by saying, I'm going to see everything God's ever promised me. No matter what happens, come what may, I know that the promises of God that he gave me, I'm going to see them in my life right now. No matter what, I'm going to see them. And we won't. Well, I'm gonna claim, I'm gonna manifest, I'm gonna bring into my life all the things that God will, because I'm not gonna taste death. Jesus is gonna come back before I die. I'm gonna tithe, I'm gonna give, and I'm not gonna get sick. And if I get sick, I'm gonna speak to that cancer and it's gonna go away. And if somebody in my life gets sick, I'm gonna lay hands on them and they're gonna be okay. We're not gonna get into a car accident. I'm gonna own a home, I'm gonna have a job, I'm gonna be an entrepreneur. It's going to happen because I'm a king, I'm a princess. And then Jesus is like, the rain is going to fall on the just and the unjust. David in the Psalms is saying, why do the wicked prosper and your people are hungry? Triumphalism is satanic because it sounds almost right. but it can get us extremely disappointed with the Lord, with each other, and then start to think that something must be wrong with my faith because if I had more of it, this wouldn't have happened financially. If I had more of it, I would have been able to walk on water, Pastor. If I had more of it, my son who passed away would have been in the church before he died. If I had more of it, Dot, dot, dot. Do you see the clever move that evil has from the demonic throwing you something that's so easy to smack away, but we smack it away with something so much worse? What does the Bible offer us on Easter Sunday regarding the fear of death? Natural death, death of hope, death of dreams, death of promises. It offers us something that no ever notices, and I'll introduce it with this word, protest. Say protest. Jürgen Moltmann said that having faith is joining Jesus in his protest against death. Well, what is protest? Protest is anytime anybody wants to speak the truth to power. Amen? A protest is telling the truth collectively. It's telling the truth creatively, but it's saying the truth of what is, and I want everybody to hear this. This is not going to be a long message, and everybody said, amen. (laughs) This is not going to be long, but I think this is going to be one of the most important things that we say from this pulpit all all year long, because the fear of death is real. Some of you are sitting here right now saying, pastor, I'm not afraid to die. Okay, you are, because Jesus was, and we'll talk about that in a second. You don't have more courage than he did, I assure you. I know I'm supposed to encourage you, but you don't. (laughs) And you know what? Some of us may not be afraid of being dead, but we're all afraid of dying. The process. Sophia said to me the other day, we were watching a hockey game because all my other teams are terrible, so now I resort to watching hockey like a peasant. (laughs) I'm joking, Frank. And she says these exact words, Dad, uh, these players are flat and you're round. If you were flatter like them, you'd be able to play hockey too, right? I was like, what do you mean? And she said, you know, you're round. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna die soon, I'm getting old, this is terrible. I can't, my kids don't even respect me watching a sport. How bad has that gotten when you're getting (laughs) condescended watching hockey? There's just this fear we have of the process. How's it going to happen? When is it going to happen? Are things going to die out first before I do? Am I going to wish I was gone first because of all the other things I'm here having to witness dying out around me? Protest. Fatalism says you're going to die and everything good in your life is going to be taken with you. Listen to this, fatalism says you can only have one thing going on at once. It's either good or it's bad, it can never be both. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. Everyone, I got some things in my life that are rough right now, but I'm looking at something in my life right now that's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. <laughs> at the same time. What does Isaiah say about Jesus? He was a man acquainted with grief, a man of many sorrows, and a man who was anointed with joy above that of his brethren. Well, was he a man of sorrows or a man of joy? Yes. Because health has room for more than one emotion. In, when you're physically and emotionally healthy, emotions are not in competition. They're in harmony inside of you. Triumphalism also only has room for one emotion. And it's, I mean, have you ever met somebody who's just annoyingly optimistic? Like, how you doing today? The famous line, I'm blessed and highly, shut up. (laughs) Don't even finish your sentence, I can't. You've heard me say this before, you ever meet those couples, we never fight. Good for you. Ugh. All the time how you doing? Oh, you know, this happened and that happened and that happened, but we're not upset about it. You should be. You don't care. (laughs) Triumphalism is not hope. It's optimism because optimism, optimism ignores what is negative and just focuses on the positive. But hope speaks directly to the negative and says you're not as over as you think you are. It's not as dark as you think it is. What do they say in the Psalms? Night is as day to you, O God that's hope. Hope is looking at the midnight hour and saying it might as well be noon because Jesus is here. It's not optimistic. It embraces the sorrow. It embraces the pain, but it speaks a better word to it. It says that sin and death and sickness have a comma, not a period. The sentence does not end with them. There's a better sentence coming, and it's being written as Jesus brings his kingdom to bear on the earth, and we're a part of that story but it doesn't reject it. It looks at it and says, God has something for you, broken situation. So protest is when you can tell the truth. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says two things within 30 seconds of each other. Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass. What's the cup? His death. If it's your will keep me alive. If it's your will, don't send me to those people. They're going to do mean things to me. If it's your will, let's do this a better way, a more fun way, no? And then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Do you see what he just did? He just punched fatalism and triumphalism in the face. He said, fatalism, I'm not going to yield to you. I'm going to say that I don't want to do this, but then I'm going to say nevertheless, because I know there's more hope than I can think of. Just because I can't think of the category of resolution doesn't mean there isn't one. And sidebar, one of the reasons why we have relational issues that don't get fixed is because we think we know all the categories of the fix but god forbid a third or fourth person jumps in and opens up more categories for us and we realize there's more room than the two of us thought there were. Jesus is saying, "I don't want to go through this, but if it's your" he says, "nevertheless not my will thy will be done." And then he doesn't say anything else. He doesn't say, "if it's your will I'll go." He just says, "whatever your will is." It's bigger than I could think of right now. In other words, I don't want to die, but if you lead me there, I'll go. I don't want to go through this financial situation, but if you're bringing me there, I will go. I don't want to face down the sins of my past. I'd rather not, but if you're bringing me there, I'll do it faithfully. I don't want to look at the things in my life that I'm using to numb myself of all of my feelings, but if you want me to, I will. It's destroying both triumphalism. He's not saying we're leaving the garden. We're going to do something else. And it's not fatalism, because he's saying, I'll go. And you might not want me to. Protest is saying both true things to the brokenness in our life. Lord, I don't want this here. Jesus is letting us say, I don't want to die. You got Christians running around talking about death like it's the best thing ever. Stop it. Jesus lets you say, I don't want this to happen to me, to my kids, to my family. I don't want to see the death of my goals. I don't want to see the death of my church. I don't want to see the de- I don't want to. I'd rather this didn't happen. Is that fair? He's letting you say it, but then he's not letting you say only it. Then he's letting you say, nevertheless, if you lead me, I will go. Because if God brings you there... It's something you will go through, not go to. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you led me there. And when you're there, life is there even when death is there. When you're there, it will hurt, but I won't be forsaken. I'll be struck down, but I won't be destroyed. (laughs) Persecuted, but not abandoned. If we run to it, that grace might not be there. And if we try to refrain from it, that grace might not be there. But if we follow him there, where he is, is fullness of joy. And sometimes joy is happiness. And sometimes joy is the ability to have sorrow and not have the sorrow break you apart as a person. I keep looking down like, what's next? I don't know. Um, protest. What does he do at Lazarus' tomb? He weeps. Why? Why? He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead in 10 seconds. And the people say, oh, look how much he loved him. Maybe, but he knew he was going to see him in 10 minutes. He weeps because we're supposed to resist death. But then he calls him out. He weeps to say, you're here, death, I see you. But then he calls him out to say, death, you don't have the power you thought you had. He's teaching us to protest. It's being able to say the truth. When you're facing down negative thoughts, the truth isn't to ignore those negative thoughts or to indulge them. Protest is to say the truth to them. We spend so much of our time accepting every negative thought that comes into our life or rejecting them. When you accept them, it's the demonic. When you reject them, it's the satanic. Letting them sit there and talk to them with Jesus. Listen to what Jesus is saying to those thoughts. Pause a moment. I just dropped my kid off at school. I'm driving home. All of a sudden, I feel really nervous. Something bad could happen. Pause for a minute. Go ahead and plead the blood in a minute. You can do that. But beforehand, stop and just say, Lord, what are you doing with this thought? What is it showing me? What is it teaching me? Where is it bringing me? What's the best way to have it? Truth. Protest the thought. Where did you come from? You know what? There's some truth behind a thought like that, Yes? If it paralyzes you, that's not great. But if you never think it, you're denying reality. What did we say on Good Friday? Reality hurts the the most when you deny it. Reality will be the harshest on you when you act like it's different than it really is. Saying the truth feels faithless depending on how you grew up as a Christian. You might feel like telling the truth. Well, you're confessing negativity. No, start with telling the truth about how you're feeling and telling the truth about the situation and then bring that before our Heavenly Father. Because watch what happens on Easter Sunday, something that nobody expects. There is neither fatalism on Easter Sunday, nor is there triumphalism on Easter Sunday. Let's talk quickly about two things that didn't happen on Easter that are unusually weird. Number one, Jesus' body was not anointed with spices. He died on Friday. They wanted to go anoint the dead body on Saturday. But it was their Sabbath. And they're not allowed to walk around or bring spices from here to there on the Sabbath. So they waited. They're not allowed to leave on the Sabbath. When they get to the tomb, guess who's no longer there? So first, his body Is never anointed as a dead body. Everybody knows his body was already anointed before he died, though. Do we remember that story? The alabaster box. She did this for the day of my burial. Notice Jesus allows himself to be anointed while he's alive, but he doesn't allow himself to be anointed while he's dead because he doesn't want us to be fatalistic. He doesn't want us to think that the best thing we can do in life is go around anointing all these dead things and just trying to make them smell good because they're going to die anyway. Let that hover for a minute. How much, do we sp- how much time do we spend trying to make things that we think are useless anyway look good? I will refrain from making husband and wife jokes the moment I just thought of 85 of them and they end with me in trouble on every one. How much time do we spend trying to talk about our life like it's better than it really is? How much time do we spend trying to front to our friends that things in our home are not as bad as they seem to be? How much time do we spend probably more than all the other time trying to convince ourselves that what we think is really terrible is better than it is and we're always trying to have this like this, this, this Tony Robbins TED talk to ourselves all the time because we're just trying to say if I could just pour some oil on this stinky part of my life, at least it'll smell good for a minute. We're just trying to anoint things that we think are fatalistically dead. If I, could just get it to, if I could just get somebody to walk by and not realize how much my life stinks, we'll be good. But Jesus doesn't let his dead body be anointed. But you know what else he doesn't do? None of the resurrection accounts have Jesus coming out of the tomb. None of them, not four of them, none of them show Jesus coming out. When you read them all carefully, and I've read them all carefully... They all show the stone being rolled away, but when it's rolled away, guess who's not there? You can say his name. Yes, he's already gone, which means he left before the stone was rolled away. The stone is rolled away to show you that what you expect when you face death isn't what's going to happen. But why? Because if there was an eyewitness account of Jesus leaving the tomb, we would be triumphalistic. We wouldn't worship. We wouldn't worship Jesus. We would worship the experience of seeing him leave the tomb. Think about what Jesus already said. All these people show up. And what does he say? You're only here because why? You ate your fill of the loaves. They heard about the miracle of the bread. And next time Jesus went, all the hungry people went to and said, we're going to get food for free. I probably went. Everybody went. If we are going to worship bread being multiplied, how much more would we have an idolatrous relationship with seeing Jesus leave the tomb? We would we would be like King Herod and want him to do tricks for us all the time. We would have a triumphalistic attitude that wouldn't respect listen to me, the sanctity of death. We wouldn't respect it because we would look at it like it was a subpar, disgusting reality. Not something that Jesus has changed and converted the use of. So we don't get to anoint a dead body, but neither do we get to see a triumphant body emerge from the tomb in glorious light. The only people who were awake when it happened fell asleep while he left. He didn't let anybody see. What does he let us do? Jeff, to my left, what does he let us do? He lets us go into the tomb. All four stories do not have Jesus coming out of the tomb. But in all four stories, me and you go into it. That's not how we would have written it. I'd have kicked that stone down and went right to Herod and just sat there and waited for him to get home. Been like, hey, (laughs) right to Peter. What's up? (laughs) The soldier who put the crown of thorns on my head. (laughs) (laughs) Don't say anything. No. We go in. We go in. Worship team, you can come on up. Listen, listen, listen. I don't want to lose you when I say worship team, come up. We're, all, we're, we're getting there. We're not there yet. Listen. Hear this. We go in to death. We walk into the tomb. Four different versions of what they see when they walk in there. It's got people wondering why all 2,000 years. Why? First thing is this. We don't anoint a dead thing because we're not fatalistic. And we don't celebrate an experience because we're not triumphalistic. We walk into death. He invites us into the tomb to say this. Death is coming for you. But when you get there, it will be rid of everything that you ever thought could scare you about it. You will die. But when you face it, whether it's the death of your life, a loved one, gloriously taken or tragically taken, the death of a vision, a dream, a job, it will happen. You will face it and it will be stripped of everything you thought would scare you about it. When God removed Adam and Eve from the garden, he put two angels at the tree of life and a flaming sword and said, the way back is through fire. You'll be changed, purified. Then in the covenant that he made with Moses on Mount Sinai, He put two angels above the mercy seat, above the covenant, and said, the way back is through covenant and mercy. Two angels in the garden, two angels on the mercy seat. And whenever the women go into the tomb on Easter Sunday, they see two angels. Why? Because death has been converted. And it's no longer the way out, it's the way back to God. It's no longer a place of abandonment and failure, it's the road back to the Father. Well, why did they all see something different? Because God will show each of us the loss of the thing that we thought we would be afraid of. For some of them, it was one angel sitting on top of the stone. They needed to see it victorious. For Peter, it was the, the cloths of the, the Jesus' shroud, needing to see that he had risen. For the two Marys, it was two angels inside the tomb, because they needed to know that the tomb had now become a tabernacle. The cemetery has become a church. Dead things are gone and lively things. You ready? How about this one? How about this one? Why are you seeking the living among the dead? Remember that question? Can you think about that question for a second? You go there and the angel says, Cahill, why are you seeking the living among the dead? And if we're reading it with intellectual honesty, we say, I'm not seeking the living among the dead. I'm seeking the dead among the dead. No, that's why I'm here. Isn't it weird that the angels are revealing that we actually have more hope in us than we realize we had? I didn't know I was looking for the living among the dead. I didn't know that I was believing something that I didn't know I was believing. And the angels like, why are you looking for the living among the dead? I didn't know I was. Well, you were. Deep down inside of you, you always knew that you would get here and not see anything in that tomb. Deep down inside, you knew you could face that storm in your life. You knew you could stare it head on. You don't need to go through it with this limp attitude saying, I don't know how we're going to make it or this overzealous attitude. We're going to be fine. You'll just know how to row and row and row through that storm knowing Jesus is on the water. And one way or another, here or there, you're going to be okay. You're going to make it through. You can be free of that fear. (laughs) Let's stand to our feet this morning. We can be free of that fear. You can go right at it. Look directly at it. It's David going down into the valley and looking at Goliath. And Goliath saying, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air. And David is saying, you don't know who's behind me right now. No one's behind you, David. You don't think. But God has been preparing me for this valley my whole life. And if this valley takes me out, Goliath, you still didn't win. You didn't. I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, there's nothing more freeing And standing in front of your fear, whatever it is, and just saying, fear, you're allowed to be here right now. You're allowed to be here. Come on. Come on, fear. And start saying what they are. I'm afraid of getting old. I'm afraid of tragedy. I'm afraid of loss. I'm afraid of being useless. I'm afraid of having my best years be behind me and now I'm just gonna be forgotten about as I get older. I'm afraid the what happened in my first marriage is gonna happen in my second, third, fourth, fifth, 10th once. I'm afraid that I'm gonna be alone. I just, this is so odd, but I just feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, invite your fears to the table. because he doesn't want to reject your fears. He wants to convert them. He wants to speak over them. He doesn't want you just accepting them fatalistically or rejecting them triumphalistically. He wants to sit and let the hem of his garment move through the valley of your fears. And if you know your Bible, you know that God said to Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones, Ezekiel, man of God, can these bones live? And I feel like God is saying on this Easter Sunday morning, can your fears, can these fears be healed? I mean, I spent so much of my life terrified of so many things and then right when you think you're getting over it something like a global pandemic hits and you're just like all right well that's over surgery comes well that's over another surgery, and you're just like can we get a break turn on the news can we get a break I tried to buy eggs and needed to take out a loan. Can we get a break? Stop telling me that we're doing good because gas is down to 365. Tell me when it's down to 182 and I'll be happy. Some of you are like 182. I remember when it was 56 cents a gallon. Listen, invite the fears to the table of the Lord this morning. Invite them. It's Easter. Easter is not the day. Stephanie and I were joking. I, said, I texted Steph this morning. I said, Steph, it's Easter Sunday. All of our problems are gone, right? She said, no, nah, they're right here. I'm like, mine too. They're right here still. It's not about that. It's about being able to stand put together by God in the midst of all of it and say, I'm going to affect them. They can't affect me. I'm going to happen to my story. My story's not going to happen to me. Jesus is going to happen to my life, and I'm going to happen on my fears. Just, we're not going to invite anybody to the altar, but if everybody's eyes are closed, if you, if you can raise your hand and just say, Pastor, I just want you to see my hand. I just want you to know that this, this sermon was for me. This moment was for me. I got some fears. I have some aches and pains. I'm not going to invite you to the front. I just want to be able to pray for you. I see hands all over the room. Holy Spirit, teach us a better way than fight or flight. Teach us a third option, to stand and to watch what you do while we're silent. Teach us what it means to, to fight to stand while you fight our fears. Teach us what our fears are teaching us. Make it so that our fears are making more meaning in our life, not less. Open up our soul to know why we're afraid of what we're afraid of so that growth and healing can happen. Not merely more courage, but more character. I really feel that the Lord is saying that when you invite your fears to the table and you don't accept them or fight them, but just let God speak over them, you're going to become a more stable place for somebody in your life that needs stability right now. I feel like there are more than 50 people in the room where you have somebody in your life whose life is reeling and rocking and you've been saying I wish I was more stable so I could help this person you're walking out of here more stable today you're walking out of here more stable today and it's not because your fears will be gone you're going to walk out of here more stable because you're going to take them with you confidently you're going to share them with other people You're gonna open up the fact that you're a Christian and you're not overly confident or overly negative. You're standing in the presence of a living God with nail-scarred hands who is holding you and your fears together. He is your stability. Jacqueline said the other night that being comforted does not mean you're comfortable. It means that God is holding your discomfort in a way that will keep it from taking you apart you can leave here uncomfortable, yet comforted. Painful, yet held together. With fears, yet wrapped in the loving arms of a father, who if you fall into your fears, he will fall into them with you. He's inviting you into your fears to look around. I didn't expect to see in here what I'm actually seeing. Angels, tabernacle, light, the stone of fear rolled to the side not gotten rid of just shifted on the night when Jesus was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he said one of my favorite things in the entire Bible said this is my body broken For you, Everybody say for. You might have heard me say this a thousand times. This may be the first time, but we all need to hear it again. Jesus didn't say, Steph, this is my body broken by you. He didn't say, this is my body broken because of you. He said, everything you thought you were doing to me, I was doing for you. You can't break my body. I can give it to be broken. Can't take my life, but I can offer it. This is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this bread, eat it in remembrance of me. Holy Spirit, first I pray that you descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. And I pray that you descend on us also that when we come forward and receive this bread, this simple bread, that as it's placed into our hands, it would be a reminder that on the night when you were betrayed, on the night when everything conspired against you, you didn't stop it from happening, but it also didn't stop you from happening. You were thankful. You were courageous. You were honest. You were faithful. And so I pray that this bread today in the hands of your church would remind us that we don't need to get rid of our fears and we don't need to accept them, but we can be held in them and be courageous and faithful and merciful and develop character and walk through our life knowing that if it's your will, this cup will pass. And if it's your will that we face it, we will face it with you and make it to the other side. Elder George is going to be on this side of the room over here. If you're on this side, you can come forward and receive. Elder Ron is going to be on this side of the room. If you're on this side of the room, you can come forward and receive. While we're taking communion, would you worship with us this morning?
0: Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.